0: So life has a way of wearing us down um, over time, and there are so many things as well that steal us away from Jesus and also what we're called to do and what he's called us to do. Um, So today we're going to look at um, a narrative of a 12-year-old boy, and his name is Jesus, And he actually sets the standard at which we should follow. The narrative is the earliest recording we have of Jesus actually um, speaking. And we've got a lot of narrative of Jesus being a baby, and we've got him when he actually starts his ministry, but we don't actually have him as a boy. And what he actually has to say is quite profound, even though it's short. So the narrative kind of unravels itself, and we're, sort of just, we're going to go right through it and just peel away the story a little bit uh, to get a bit of insight into the, the culture and what was happening uh, at that very time. So we have, if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke 2, 41 to 50, that's what we're working with. So just for a little bit of context, before we get to this passage, what's actually happened earlier in Luke is Jesus is a baby and Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple. Um, And there's a lot of ceremonial things that need to happen. He gets named, he gets circumcised, and a whole other range of things that the Jewish, uh, there would have been requirements For them to do. And then Mary and Joseph move up to Nazareth. And that's where the story starts in verse 41. So we'll just move through a couple of verses at a time. So now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. So we see here that Mary and Joseph are regular attendees of the Passover. The Passover is a feast that the Jewish people are involved in and they're required to pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem if they live out of that area. And obviously the Passover is a space and celebration where they remind themselves that God had brought them out of Egypt um, into prosperity and Freedom, and they've been following that celebration up until this point. And if they loved God, uh, they would make the travel. This particular time, Jesus is actually coming along with them, and we don't know whether he's been there before. But it probably the reason that he's actually going along, and it's recorded, is because he's twelve years old, and. The following year he's going to be 13, which means that he's going to become a man and which means that he would be under not only the moral law, so if he decided that he was going to kill somebody, he'd be under the full judgment of that law, but also the ritual law as well. So he would be alone making his own sacrifices at the temple before the Lord. Uh, So it was a bit of an orientation, I think, for Jesus that uh, Mary and Joseph would bring him down so this is where Nazareth is Jerusalem's down here and Samaria would be in here just to give you a little bit of insight usually these people didn't really like the Samarians so they would actually come down this way and go around so it would take a little bit longer But I just thought I'd show you that map just for a bit of insight so What we have now, we have Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, at Jerusalem. So we'll pick up at verse 43. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and began looking for him among his relatives and acquaintances." So they'd spent the full number of days down at Jerusalem at the festival. What that actually meant was that the the, the Passover festival was one day. And what backed onto that was seven days of unleavened bread. That was another celebration. And so the whole eight days was called, just commonly called, the Passover. And if you were out of town or out of Jerusalem, you didn't actually have to stay the eight days. You had cattle to look after, you had Family, so you'd only stay one or two days. But for this particular reason, um, the Mary, Joseph, and Jesus have actually stayed the full eight days, and then decided to head home. And so they pack their bags, and Jesus obviously stays behind, behind there. Now it says here that the caravan. I don't know what your Bible has. It might have group. Something a bit more similar, or easy to understand. But I think I've got a slide, actually. Yeah! I <laughs> only, put, only put that in because I knew I'd get half a laugh. <laughs> that is not the caravan that we're talking about. <laughs> Um, so what is, what is the caravan that, that Mary and Joseph think that Jesus is in? Well, actually, what was common is that the whole town, well, Nazareth, would actually move together down to Jerusalem. And the reason they would do that is because there was a huge amount of community in that culture. And the second reason was that um, for safety... It was a safe move because there was lots of robbers that would come along um, and safety in numbers was a big, uh, important thing. So that's how they moved. Um, the The reason why there's a miscommunication here and Jesus is left behind is probably because he's 12 years old and and in the caravan, culturally, you would have women over here and you would have men probably... 50 to 100 metres moving beside them and that's a cultural thing we know that men and women didn't commonly talk to one another and we see that in the whole range of different scriptures but we see the woman at the well will go to the well at the, the hottest part of the day because she knows there won't be any blokes there and so there'll be no confrontation so we have the women over here we have the men over here we have Jesus who was young enough to walk with his mother And we also have him in that space where Joseph may have invited him into um, the man section of the journey. So that's probably how uh, Mary and Joseph got muddled up as to where his whereabouts were. Let's check out verse 45. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So they couldn't find him, so they decided to turn around. So the three days actually means that from the day that they found him missing. So they'd done a day's journey away from Jerusalem, and then they'd done a day's return to Jerusalem and then they'd spent a day actually looking for him. So that comes up to three days. Um, and that's how the how it was worked out. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder why it sp- that actually took uh, Mary and Joseph so long to find their son. They're raising the Son of God and yet it seemed like the temple was the last place that they were looking. Uh, and we might have a look, we'll talk about that a little bit further. Just another note as well, if if you were 12 or 13 years old and you wanted to become a rabbi or a teacher or a leader, you would be found in the temple chatting with the rabbis and actually learning from them. So it's no surprise that we find Jesus there. Let's check it out verse 48. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, this is Jesus, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. So Mary is obviously very embarrassed, she's frustrated, uh, like any mother who would be if they lost their child. And she's also very relieved of finding um, Jesus, but she also feels quite mistreated. And she asks the question that she's no doubt expecting a really plain answer. And if you've ever talked to a 12-year-old and asked them why they did something, usually you get quite a plain response. The shoulders go up and, I don't know, I felt like it. But we don't, we don't really get that from Jesus. In fact, we get quite a profound response. As in, why, why were you looking at, for me, isn't it obvious where I would have been? And Jesus was trying to get across to his parents that uh, he's got a bigger purpose um, happening. He wasn't lost. This is where um, he needed to be. And what we find here with Mary and Joseph is, I think they've got so used to normal life and the ins and outs of every day, and, and have affected their their thinking and. And probably their relationship with with their son Jesus as time seems to have that effect. And what we see at the beginning of when God actually first meets Mary, when we go back, and God says, "I'm going to give you a child through the Spirit," and and Mary is going through all. These spiritual connections with God, God is rocking up there 's angels happening there's there 's this holy spirit baby growing inside her, and then we also have uh, Joseph, who is really frustrated because he thinks that Mary has been unfaithful, and then God rocks up there and he actually talks uh, to Joseph and and says don't be afraid don't be worried about it this is this is actually not a bad thing this is a good thing and and so it's probably been 12 years since mary and joseph have seen anything sort of spiritual from god it has been sort of a a quiet space and so what was miraculous at the beginning and such a exciting and and probably feeling really close to, to God, 12 years later, um, that memory fades, and that, that, that feeling disappears, and they're left um, with this idea of that Jesus is just a regular child. And we see examples like this right through the Bible, and I'll use one that I'll use Abraham. Abraham has a divine interaction with God. God comes down and says i 'm going to make you many a huge father of of a nation of israel and but at this point they were sixty. Sarah and Abraham were sixty or seventy and God is speaking to them in a in face to face and then all of a sudden he 's gone, and we seem to have this idea that that God is regularly talking and walking with these these people like Abraham, these patriarchs, but it's not so. It's very isolated um, things that happen. God comes down and then he goes. And so Abraham had to wait 27 years before that was fulfilled. And he was up around 90 years of age. Imagine waiting. You've had this divine moment with God that has drawn you closer, and then 27 years pass before he rocks up again. And I think that's sort of what's happened here with Mary and Joseph. Is It's a shorter time frame, but everything sort of got a little bit normal, and all that exciting stuff has sort of faded into the background. And Mary and Joseph had forgotten who Jesus was going to be. And I think we can get a little bit caught up today um, with our busy lives and everything that's so fast-paced. We can get caught up uh, and forget who Jesus is as well. And everything gets a little bit normal, a bit regular. And we need to be careful uh, that we don't slip into that. Um, The most pivotal part of this narrative are the words spoken by Jesus. And those are, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And that can also be translated my, uh, into business. And that's sort of where I've gone with the theme is that didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? Jesus drew a sharp distinction between Mary and Joseph and God. And the purpose of God and the plan of God was so far greater than the concerns of Mary and Joseph. And at this point, we know that Jesus, at 12 years of age, had a mission. He knew his mission at that point. He knew his mission, he knew his plan, he knew his purpose from the Father. And he's trying to get this through to his parents. You know, Why were you looking for me? Wasn't it obvious that I, the Son of God, would be in the temple? In the discussions with... If anything was going to happen in Israel, it would happen at the temple. Because God's presence was there. Anything politically, anything spiritually, anything to do uh, with the Bible... It would all happen at the temple. This is where Jesus had to be amongst his father's business. It was the most important thing. And Jesus' words are very pivotal in this passage because the rest of his mission and ministry actually sit on these words. He doesn't waver from these words that I have to be about my father's business. We see about the age of third, he goes and gets baptised by John the Baptist and his father, the Father in heaven, says, This is my son, I am well pleased. He is continuously in line with his father. And then we see him in the wilderness being tempted and he hasn't eaten and he rebukes Satan and God is pleased with him. He is continually focused on the father's business. And he gets his disciples and does a whole range of ministries and it is all in line. And right up to the cross is he in line with the Father's business. It's the most important thing that he is doing and wants to do. And he gets just before the cross and we've all, we've all read the passages before and he doesn't really want to go and he asks the Lord he asked the Father, is there any other way? And there isn't any other way. And so he continues on with the Father's business because he's sold out. It is better, he knows that the Father knows best. It is better that he does, he's obedient to him. He knows, the Father knows what's best and the outcome of Jesus dying on the cross has huge, amazing ramifications for us. So what is our response to all of this in this passage? Well, I think Jesus demonstrates where our business should be. And Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So he's not only the founder of it, but he is the perfecter of it. He has come down, put on some human skin and he's walked all the journeys that we've walked and he's done it in perfect, perfect order, perfect line without sin. If we want to know what a Christian should look like, we should be looking at Jesus as our ultimate example. Jesus calls us to live a similar life and calls us to focus on some of the things that he had to go through. Jesus says that we should take up our cross and deny ourselves. He says that we should seek first the kingdom and then all our daily needs will be given to us. And How often do we believe that? If we're seeking the kingdom first, we shouldn't be concerned about whether we're going to eat or drink or what we're going to wear because we know that God's going to give them to us but often we're quite worried about money inflow and things like that there's so many passages about putting his business before our business and i think that's where we need to be i think that's where we'd like to be but are we there yet and Are we moving in that direction? One of my favourite pastors, or preachers, is Jeff Vines. And he's on, at the moment, is on Vision Radio. So if you listen to that, you've probably heard him. I usually tune in while I'm on my tractor, doing something, (laughs) doing a little bit of work. (laughs) And... One of his quotes is, direction, not intention, determines destination. And I think that's pretty relevant for us today, that direction, not intention, determines destination. So if we want to get somewhere, intent is not enough to get us there. And for example, if, if a husband wants to get to know his wife better then going and playing golf whenever he's free is probably not going to get that job done. You're on the wrong road. <laughs> I mean, it might be fun, but it's not... He's got good intent, he's got passion, he wants to get to know his wife, but if you're not on the right, in the right direction, you're never going to get to the right destination. And for us, if we want a deeper relationship with Jesus... If we, want to desire, if we want to do what he's called us to do, then we need to get on the right road. We need to get in the right direction. We need to make steps for that to happen. It's all well and good having intent. Intent, though, doesn't trump direction. We've got to get on that road. I might finish with the last quote. I'll wrap it up. This is C.S. Lewis from a book I've been reading. God's demand for perfection need not discourage you in the least in your present attempts to be good or even in your present failures. Each time you fall, he will pick you up again and he knows perfectly well that your own efforts are never going to bring you anywhere near perfection. On on the one other hand, you must realise from the outset that the goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection. And no power in the universe except you yourself can prevent him from taking you to that goal. That is what you're in for. If we jump on this road of serving Jesus and being sold out for Jesus and all about his business, then Jesus is going to perfect us over time. We don't have to come to him perfect today. We don't have to be perfect to serve him. We just have to be sold out and on the right road. And we need to remember that That. We are the only ones that are going to get in the way. Nothing can get in the way of God perfecting you except yourself. We want direction, not intention. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today and the opportunity to be able to share uh, um, with everybody today. And I just pray that we would get to a point where we are sold out for you, and that we prioritise you and and your business and the things that you desire us to do. That they would be our priority in life. Um, I would thank you that you are perfecting us, and that we are, are moving in that direction. And I pray that you continue to work alongside us um, and challenge us to continue to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.